Good morning and welcome to Chanel. I was just telling JJ in the back uh, that uh, Come Thou Found is like my favorite songs. Like when you see athletes, you know, with headphones on before games, like I've kind of listened to Come Thou Found that way. Uh, so I hope you guys are ready for this. Um, I really, that's, that's one of my favorite songs. But um, so this morning we're in the book of Ruth, if you want to go ahead and turn there as we continue our vacation Bible stories for grown-ups. Now, the book of Ruth has always been fascinating to me for a lot of different reasons, mainly because you can read it in so many different ways. And to explain that, I'd like to talk briefly about pirates. Um, You're not going to believe this, um, but our sweet baby Isla's favorite movie is Pirates of the Caribbean. We don't know necessarily how this happened or why that's one of her favorite movies, but she loves it. Uh, and that has created this weird pirate culture in our house um, where we, we talk about pirates, we read stories about pirates, and then we accidentally learn pirate facts. And that's what I'm going to try to do this morning, is to tell you a pirate fact that doesn't ruin this entire sermon. So uh, the pirate fact that I love the most, and I'm going to attempt to connect to the book of Ruth, is the eye patch. Forever, I believed that the pirates just suffered major eye injuries constantly. Um, so much so that a whole fashion industry was created off of the eye patch. It's actually not true. Pirates wore eye patches for one specific reason it's so they could fight at night as well. And so, by wearing an eye patch, your eye is already adjusted to darkness. So, if a pirate were in a, a naval battle in the evening that was dark, they could just flip the eye patch over, and that eye that's been covered by the eye patch has already been adjusted to the darkness. Pirate fact. You're welcome. Um, talk about that at lunch. I tell that story is because some of these stories in the Old Testament, we have to adjust our vision just a little bit to see a larger, more clear reason as to why these stories are being told. The book of Ruth is often looked at as a story about commitment. It's a story about a a woman who commits to her mother-in-law throughout tragedy, throughout uh, the darkness of losing everyone around you. But if we take that eye patch and we put it to the other eye, we can see a, a fuller story of restoration, that God is working behind the scenes in the lives of these individuals to create this fuller picture of God restoring what has been broken. And so hopefully we can look at that this morning. And the story begins in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and husband. Now, what was customary at the time of Ruth for these individuals is when your husband died, you were either released or you would basically marry the next of kin. In this situation, what Naomi says is in verses 8 and 9, she says, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi is releasing her daughters-in-laws and saying, you can go back home. Hopefully you can find a a new husband, you can have a family, you can start over, is essentially what Naomi is suggesting there. And 
to kind of clue you in on what happens, Orpah says, okay, see you later. Uh, in, in the rabbinical text, or- Orpah has this whole different trajectory. Um, I would love to talk to you directly about this. It's not appropriate for this sermon, but I would love to talk to you about ancient rabbinical text if you'd like to have lunch with me next week. I'm not going to do it this morning, but it's, it's fascinating. But what happens is Orpah decides to leave, Ruth decides to stay, and we get this powerful text starting in verse 16. Ruth replies, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is a passage that you see a little bit showing up in weddings. Um, obviously, at times, you don't want to emphasize that this is between a, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, uh, but it, it's a, a powerful text about commitment. Now, what happens here is Naomi realizes that Ruth, in, in verse 18, was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. If you're reading the text, Ruth, Naomi urges Ruth to not go with her three times. That's insanely customary in the Hebrew tradition. So if you were somebody, a foreigner, wanting to convert to Judaism, you would be told no three different times. And on that third time, when you finally show that you would not abandon the cause, they would say, okay, you can be a part of this. And that's exactly what Ruth does here. She's told no three separate times. She's told to go home, go back to the land that you've come from three separate times. And finally, Naomi realizes, like, this girl isn't going anywhere. And they decide to go back to Jerusalem. Now, this is kind of where the story gets a little interesting when you look at how this story develops. Because it's, it's still about commitment. It's still about two individuals who have lost everything, who now have to figure out how to survive. And so they go back to Naomi's home country, broken, without anything. And to survive, what Naomi decides to do is to encourage Ruth to go glean in the fields. This means that she's going to go after all the harvesters and just pick up what they didn't get. So in in chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. If you're looking at the text in your Bibles and you're, you're keeping tallies at home, this is the first time that Naomi identifies Ruth as her daughter. Again, you, you see this powerful demonstration of commitment here, of two individuals who have lost everything. They only have each other. And so she says, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went on, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So as we read this story, we we see already that God is working behind the scenes. Because the field that Ruth finds herself gleaning in isn't just a, a random field. It's a field that there is connection to. Somebody that is from the clan of Elimelech. Somebody that has relations. There's blood ties in this story already. God is working behind the scenes. Now, for time's sake, I'll just fast-track what happens. Naomi continues to send Ruth into this this field to glean. She eventually creates this relationship with Boaz. She goes to the threshing floor. Boaz is like, whoa, who are you? She's like, I'm Naomi. You are 
redeeming kinsman. Boaz says, actually, I'm not your redeeming kinsman, which is the individual that would redeem this family, basically who Ruth would have to marry next. He says, I'm I'm not your redeeming kinsman. I'm actually second in line. There's this other guy who the Hebrew calls Mr. So-and-so. So, like, we don't really, he's not really necessary in this story other than to get out of the way. If you're following, we're in chapter 4 now, where Boaz goes and finds this guy. They go to the temple, and he says, here's my sandal. And the sandal is the sign of the exchange. Super romantic, I know. Uh, he, gets, he says, here's my sandal. We're not really sure who gets the sandal or who takes the sandal, but there's a sandal that's exchanged. And then Boaz, in verse 9, announced to the elders and all the people. He says, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead, the de- <clears throat> dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Now this is more of a, a legal matter than it is a romantic gesture, obviously with the language of I have bought this woman. Uh, that's not necessarily how you're going to woo someone. But you see kind of the actions that's happening here of a, a family that is now being restored, brought together. And then they find out in this beautiful way that they're going to have a grandchild, that Naomi will have a grandchild. And in verses 14, it says, The, wom- the women said to Naomi, to the townspeople, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to a son. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A lot of people look at the story of Ruth as a means of explaining how we get to David. How God is working behind the scenes to show us this is how you get from point A to point B. Story of commitment. Story of trusting God even when we can't see God working. There's absolutely ways to look at the story. We also have to look at the story as something that is broken. To that, I'd like to show Whitney's favorite coffee mug. This is, go to the next picture. Uh, so the last time that we went to Disneyland, uh, Whitney was like, I would like to go shop in a store by myself. And I said, but the kids are here. It's magical. Why would you want to do that? And so uh, she took some time, went to the store, and eventually found this coffee mug. Uh, four weeks. This was a coffee mug that was a regular staple at our breakfast table. Uh, whether it be coffee or tea, Whitney drank out of this particular mug. It never even entered into our cabinet with the other mugs because we didn't want to chip it. It was a special mug. It was the, the thing that Whitney got herself at Disneyland. It was magical. A great way to start all of your days. But as likely you are figuring out where this story is going, one fateful afternoon, Judah spotted candy on the counter. Same counter where this coffee mug resided. 
Now, to get this candy, what Judah had to do was wiggle his body up and basically reach for the candy in one motion. But in reaching for the motion, his elbow knocked the coffee mug off the counter, crashes in our kitchen floor. Now, the boy does this thing where he comes and finds me. And he says, we've got a problem. And I said, I heard the crash. you got a problem. I don't think I have a problem. So he, he brings me into the kitchen, and he shows me all the pieces. And if, if you know Judah, he's got a huge heart. Um, he, he hates getting in trouble. He hates doing anything wrong. And he starts picking up these pieces, and he's, he's bringing them to me, the, bigger, the biggest pieces that he can find. But if you've ever broken something like this, you know that there's just like, there's too many cracks. We, we piece it together, we get some glue, and he says, we're going to have to tell mom. I was like, no, we not. Like, we, I don't know who you're talking to. Um, eventually, we, we both go, we tell Whitney what happened. And, and, and fun fact, there are people on the internet, like through eBay, that they'll just go shopping for you at Disneyland. Uh, so if you ever get to a situation, like we recently figured out, um, that we were able to replace the mug uh, and all the magic was restored in the Kittinger household. But I tell that story because as we looked at the original mug, there was no restoring that mug. There were too many cracks. There was not enough glue. There were too many holes. that You couldn't pour any type of liquid into this because it was just beyond repair. And maybe right now there's something going on in your life. Maybe it's a relationship, a circumstance, a job that you're looking at and you're saying, there is no way that this can be fixed. It's like that mug. There's too many cracks. There's too many holes. To that, I would invite you into the story of Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Pezzarites were also living in the land at the time. There's a lot of people and a little bit of space. And not just a lot of people, but you have wealthy people. They're like, I've got too much stuff. We can't be here together. So Abram says to Lot in verse 8, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It gives Lot the choice. I've often wondered that. Why, why Lot is given the choice? I think it's Abram showing his, his kindness, his hospitality, his willingness to say, hey, Lot, you choose. Like we, We've built this wealth together. We've got so much stuff. You choose where you want to go. I'll make it work. It, it's a sign of kindness and respect to Lot. So Lot looked around in verse 10 and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And we know this story, and we even understand like this reference here to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want you to think just for a moment what Lot was looking at. 
Lot was given the choice to look at the land and say, choose for you what is the best land, the best opportunity ahead of you. And as Lot surveyed the land, he saw land that was green. The water was flowing. Friends, it it looked like the right choice for Lot. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Goes there, and the next line is, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no need to go too deep into that story, into the weeds of this. But the reason why I'm referencing the story of Abram and Lot this morning is because of their descendants. And that's why when, when I initially showed you that, that silly picture of a pirate early on, is because at times we have to adjust our vision just a little bit to see what God is really doing in these moments and in these stories. Because if we look at the story of Ruth on this surface level, we just see a woman who loses everything and then eventually finds a new husband. And that, that through that new husband, they have this son named Obed, and through Obed, we eventually get Jesse. But if we adjust that eye patch for just a little bit and we look at who these people are really connected to, we see that God is working behind the scenes far more than we could ever realize. Because Boaz is not just from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz is a descendant of Abram. He is connected to the line of Abram. The same Abram that we looked at in the story of Genesis chapter 13. And although Ruth may just be some woman that this man met in this land that they had to live into because there was a famine, Ruth is more than that. Because Ruth is a Moabite. Now that may mean nothing to you, but it would have meant something to Lot. Because the Moabites come from Lot. So for a moment, just stop and look at what God is doing behind the scene. An ancient teacup that was broken. These two individuals went two completely separate ways. Abram one way, Lot the other way. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Every part of his identity was encapsulated in Sodom and Gomorrah. When that story ends, we're like, there's no way that God can redeem this person. There is no way that God can put back together this teacup that has been broken. Lo and behold, there's a story in Scripture about a woman named Ruth who happens to be from the line of Lot, a Moabite who meets this man who's from the line of Abram. And all of a sudden, the story about Ruth is now a story about what God can do behind the scenes. Because the story of Ruth is really about God taking what has been broken. Now it takes time. It takes generations. It takes trust and commitment. But over time, God restores what was broken in Genesis chapter 13 through the story of Ruth. These people that separated in Genesis 13 are reconnected through the line of Boaz and Ruth. And so as Ruth ends in verses 18 through 22, it says, This is this, then, is the family line of Perez. 
For as was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abadab, Abadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Story means a lot more when we realize that God is fixing what has been broken long ago. I mentioned a moment ago that I I don't know what's going on in your life, that maybe there is a circumstance, a situation, a relationship, a job that you look at and you say, there is no way that this thing can be fixed. Friends, I would tell you to look at the story of Ruth and recognize that even though we may not see God working, that God can and will restore what has been broken. We just have to trust Him and realize that maybe God is working behind the scenes. Let's stand and sing together.